we are uh, pretty convinced that the goal of studying the Bible uh, is knowing God and then also obeying what he says. And so when we teach, when we train, we want to take time to be able to remember that we don't just want information gathering up in our brains, but this is meant to do something with our very lives, right? Like the, the gospel is meant to shape the entirety of our being and how we exist out in the world. And that's something that we do regularly and care about. Uh, last week, Mike taught on We Give. Uh, and do you remember the illustration he used to start off with? He was in Oceanside, uh, and there was, he got stuck in a rip current. And so we believe in being really literal. So we went to Oceanside this week as a family, uh, and we're there with our four kids and hanging out right in that pier, and we're able to uh, explain to Lyric and Caden and Kobe. Kenzie didn't go near the water because uh, it's too cold that, hey, do you remember when Mike was talking on Sunday about that rip current? Uh, that's it right there. So if you could go ahead and not get sucked out, that would be awesome. Uh, we were able to directly work out one of the implications of his sermon, uh, which was to be aware of rip currents. In addition to that, he also taught us about how we can use our financial resources as part of God's mission. Uh, not out of guilt or obligation, but joyful generosity, responding to everything that God's done for us. And then the week before that, Nick taught us, right? Remember, he taught us on we gather together. One of the practices of the people of God has always been that they are not isolated individuals who exist in closets spread throughout the world, uh, but that they come together, gather together for rest and worship. Uh, and at Missio, we say we gather together to encounter God's presence. We really do hope that when you're here, it's a thin space for you where you're able to sense God is near. Uh, we gather to encourage one another in the gospel. Uh, what you just did in talking to each other and reminding each other of good news, when prayers are prayed or the liturgy is read, when songs are sung and the word is preached, when you go off to lunch next... The hope is that the words of the gospel are on your lips as you speak to one another. And we can't encourage one another if we're not around one another. And so he encourages us from Hebrews, don't forsake gathering together. And then lastly, we gather to be equipped to faithfully take up our role in God's story. Uh, this series that we're in is one of the hardest ones to preach because the topics are so big. Uh, we gather, yeah, take that from creation all the way through to restoration. Uh, we look to give. Yes, from the beginning of the story, humans were entrusted with something and given it to steward until the day when Jesus finally and fully comes back at the end to restore all things to himself and we get to enjoy his creation with him. Uh, today we're doing grow, uh, which is the entirety of the Christian life. So the, the vast and enjoyable uh, adventure of following God of being able to be made one of his children and growing up into maturity in that and delighting in God and enjoying his gifts and learning how to live all of life under his reign in the next 20 minutes. Uh, and then next we'll be looking at we go or the grand mission of God that we join him in. And so these sermons are really hard ones to preach. I was really proud of Nick and Mike for the way they tackled them because there's so many ways to go with it. Uh, today, we're going to camp out in one little corner of that wilderness of beauty of God, life with God together. We're just going to camp out in one little corner. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 to start off with. 
And this series is something that we're looking at, and a lot of it emphasizes what we do as we respond to God's grace. Uh, a lot of it respond, is how we together as a community want to shape our shared lives. But as we do that, I don't want us to forget the foundation that's been laid underneath this. We're not starting with our response to God, but we're building on God's actions towards us and his rescue and his redemption. And so before we get to what we do, we have to remember this all takes place in a world where Jesus reigns. His life, his death, his resurrection are all true. Uh, Jesus really did live. He really did die. He really did raise again, offering new life. And this is going to be housed one way we can live in that new life. Other things that are true because of that, we are forgiven. We have life. We are free. We don't have to earn God's approval. And we've been sealed with God's Holy Spirit. So whether or not you participate in what we're about to talk about, whether or not you struggle your entire life to grow, uh, whether or not you continue to wrestle with old addictions and patterns and relationships and seem to never quite get out of where you feel like you should, none of that changes God's love for you. None of that changes the lordship of Jesus. None of that changes the forgiveness that is yours. And so we're not doing these things to earn God's approval. But as men and women and children who have experienced the grace of God, we want to lean into the things that matter to him. We want to lean into the way that we're invited to live. Remember, God's invitations to life are the best possible way to live. And to the degree that we believe that, we'll find ourselves pursuing that. To the degree that we buy the lie of the serpent in the garden, where he told Adam and Eve that, that God's holding back from you, there's more to life than what he has for you, pursue these things instead of, aligning life under his reign and his rule, we will not experience the best that God has for us in this life right now. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we come to you uh, with different perspectives and even uh, paths when it comes to learning about maturing in faith. And so I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, speak over and under the words that I'm going to communicate from Scripture and assure Assure this family of your love for them, your presence with them, uh, that the enemy wouldn't be able to whisper words of shame and failure as the final definitive word, but life and wholeness and hope of what you are leading people into would be louder. Uh, God, would we together as a church be uh, women, men, and children who mature, who grow up, who are able to experience the fullness of what you have for us. And we ask this in your name, Jesus, in the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. If you got a Bible and you haven't yet turned there, Colossians 1 is where we're going to start. A Colossians 1. We're jumping into the act of the story, which is the church. Uh, this is 
multiple acts into what God's been doing in history. And so just a quick refresher, uh, if you're new to your Bible, it starts off in Genesis. And in the beginning, God creates everything good, right, and beautiful, including human beings. And he places them in a garden to steward that creation and to reflect his image and to cultivate little image bearers that would literally spread out throughout the world. And that was what they were placed on the earth to do. Every day in the cool of the day, God would come and he'd walk with the man and the woman and show them the best possible way to live, enjoying relationship that was open and no shame and no guilt and no fear and curiosity and imagination would be able to abound. But human beings in the second act of the story, Genesis 3 through 11, choose to rebel against God's crude, good reign. They choose instead to listen to the voice of a serpent who deforms them and says, rather than doing what God said and being living into what God has invited, uh, would you take the fruit that God told you not to eat because he's holding back from you, eat of that fruit, and then you'll be like God. And they listen to the word of the serpents and immediately feel the devastating effects of sin in this world. Where they were naked and unashamed, they're all of a sudden ashamed and trying to cover themselves with fig cloth, right? They, they take leaves and sew them together. Like, I don't want God to see me naked, uh, which is far less of a fashion statement and far more of them saying, there's something about us now we need to hide from each other, from ourselves and from God. But God comes down and pursues them. And instead of leaving them in their shame and in their mess, he provides clothes for them. And while the earth does come under a curse, he offers words of hope saying, one day someone will come who will crush that serpent's head. And this hope is born. The next act of the story is Genesis 12, which takes you all the way through Malachi 4, which is your whole Old Testament. And in those chapters of the Bible, we read how God makes a promise to one man, Abram, that is then fleshed out through the entire Old Testament, that through one people, all the people of the world will be blessed. And God spends time forming these people in his ways. He gives them commands. He gives them uh, blessings. He gives them curses that they deviate from the plans that he has for them. He offers them a best possible way to live and gives them a playbook to do it by, setting up their whole society around things like truth and beauty and justice and community and caring for the stranger and loving those who are far from the ideal citizen in the world. They were to care for the very land. They were to care for the alien that was among them. They were to care for creation in a way that resembled how Adam and Eve were meant to care for it. And the hope would be, it says in Deuteronomy, as other nations looked in, they'd be like, how did you get so smart? How did you figure this out? How do you have this way of life that leads to flourishing? And they would be able to give praise to God. Uh, we're going to hit the fast forward button because Israel fails at that, succeeds at times, fails. God makes promises. Uh, he has a temple built where his presence dwells. Uh, Israel fails to live into the commands and eventually goes into exile. But God doesn't leave the world without hope, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of Jesus of Jesus coming, the one who was promised to make all things right, to make all things new, to set all things back in order, to set up his kingdom in this midst. He came and he lived and he showed off what the kingdom of God looked like. He called people of 
every background to repent from their other ways of thinking, to turn from that and turn back to God's created intent for humanity, to trust him as the king and allow him to do what the law could never do and religious observance could never do and running away from God could never do in making people right again with God, one another, creation, and to participate in that kingdom life now. And then he's murdered for it. The religious and the Romans come together and hang him on a cross. And Jesus dies, taking on him the weight of the curse, the weight of our sin, absorbing the Father's wrath. But he doesn't stay dead, right? Three days later, Jesus resurrects. He comes back to life. He is not dead, but he's alive. And it says that he brings new creation with him. And so his disciples are like, yes, finally. The followers are like, yes, is this when you're going to set up a kingdom and it'll finally and fully be made right, right here, right now? That's amazing. We've been waiting. Bring it, Jesus. And he goes, not yet. First, I'm going to send my spirit, and then you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And as you go, I want you to make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. I want you to make disciples, to see them mature up, and then multiply. And then he ascends and sends his spirit to the church. And the church is the people of God filled with the Spirit of God, sent on the mission of God. This community of people is why we're here today. Uh, we're not here because we didn't like the football game that was on at 10 a.m. We're not here because we couldn't find any place to get brunch. We're not here, hopefully, even just out of religious observance. Though if any of those are the reasons you're here, we're glad. That's not why I'm here. We're here because we want to learn how do we grow up in understanding all these events that have taken place? How do we live in line with the Spirit? How do we live in community with each other in a way that others are blessed? Until the day, final act of the story that is yet to come, when Jesus will make all things new. He'll restore creation. And instead of a garden, the picture is a city that comes out of the sky. And the realm where God dwells and the realm where man dwells is once again together. And all those who bow their knee to King Jesus enjoy life in this restored earth. And all those that have rejected him, that say, I could do it my way, I don't need you. I can be good enough on my own. I can run far enough, it doesn't matter what you say. They spend eternity far from God. And that's the story that our teaching today finds itself in. Because the letter that's written is written to one of those churches that formed after Jesus had lived, he died, he'd rose and risen again, he sent his spirit. And then these little communities started popping up. And as these communities formed, they were just like us. They were normal people. Uh, they struggled with their body image issues. They struggled with uh, issues of greed. They had past. They all had histories because before Jesus, none of them followed Jesus, right? Really deep thought. You can take that one with you. Uh, before Jesus, none of them followed Jesus. They all followed something else. They all had issues with their parents, with their siblings, with one another, with other ethnicities that had oppressed them. They had issues with worshiping false gods and thinking that they would bring fulfillment, they had issues with their businesses and trying to figure out unemployment. They had all the same issues that we had, but they're setting up the first churches. 
So Paul, after churches would form, uh, he would often write them letters to give them instructions on how to grow up because this really mattered to him. And so as Paul wrote to this church in Colossae, he says this, A God has chosen me to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. So he's saying it was originally for the people that were the Jewish people. Now it's for all people, which is what Gentile means, non-Jewish people. Uh, So the part of the story that we all drew along to where we're at, he's like, it was a mystery, and I get to make that known to people. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Today, as we're talking about we grow, we need to see that pursuing maturity was a key part of Paul's missionary strategy. Uh, For churches and believers of followers of Jesus to mature was a key part of his strategy. That was a key part of his pursuit. It was a thing he wrote to this little network of disciples and disciple makers saying, I want to see you grow up in the faith. And because of that, I'm willing to put all the energy that God has given to me into seeing that take place among you. That's how much it matters. That's saying, if you're in an MC, that MC coming to maturity, MC leaders, is what he's saying. That's, what, that's my desire, to see them presented, mature, grown up, developed. A maturity, as we look in the words of Scripture, I'm going to give a big, long definition and then a shorter one. It's a transformative process. What does that mean? It's a process. It's ongoing where things change where people in communities increasingly follow Jesus, submit to the Spirit of God, and align with the mission of God. When we say we want to see missio mature, when we say we want to grow as individuals and as a church, when I say I unapologetically want to see you mature up in your faith, to grow in your experience of God, to enjoy him more, to seek the flourishing of your cities with increased energy and creativity. I want to see maturation take place, growth take place. And this isn't talking about numerically that we have to blow out a wall and put another hundred seats in here. This is talking about transformative experiences that happen within you that echo out into the world. It's what we mean when we say we're in the process of being formed by God together for the sake of others. That God is forming us as he always has his people. Uh, That formation takes place in community, and it's always for the sake of others. It never ends on us. And sometimes we get it a little twisted, though, because we think we come into the faith and it's going to look like this. In January, I connected with an MC. February, I give my allegiance to Jesus. March, I'm baptized. In April, my first formation is completely gone, and now I'm mature. We're good to go, right? Anybody's discipleship look like that, right? You can just chart it out month through four months, and then you just kind of get the rest of your life to enjoy it. Uh, Most of our discipleship process, if we're honest, looks a lot more uh, like the bowl of spaghetti I had last night uh, than it does resemble this linear chart where it's going very neatly point by point. 
But uh, Paul's emphasis, the movement of Scripture, would seem to tell us that there should be a marked difference from when we enter the faith to how we grow up in that. Uh, like a baby picture would reflect you in some of your facial features, but when you're 44, it'll probably look different than it did at four months, right? In fact, if you look like you did at four months when you're 44, there's actually something wrong. And Paul's kind of highlighting that, saying we're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to learn and live into what God has for us. There's supposed to be experiences that shape us more in the image of God, to enjoy that. That we're supposed to be in practices that help us to enjoy what God's doing inside of us. And so it's this weird tension, and I get it, uh, where we take responsibility to work with the Spirit as he matures us up as followers of Jesus. Right? There, there's personal responsibility where we respond to what Jesus is doing, but we also read throughout Scripture that it's, it's God and His power that changes us. And I think it's one of those paradoxes that exists in Scripture. Are we responsible? Yes. Is God's power the only way that we ever experience change, that we're ever transformed, that we grow up? Yes. Welcome to the mystery that is following Jesus. But what if we as a church said we want to make a priority of the thing that was a priority for Jesus to see his disciples grow up, a priority for Paul where he pressed in towards maturity, that we said that's what we want to see happen and take place in our community, Missio Dei, but also our smaller communities and even in our own lives. And we said, I, I want to take responsibility for the parts that I can to work with what the Spirit is doing to experience that change. I'm going to have you turn towards one another with a question because I think there's a lot of collective wisdom in this room. Uh, I want to have you turn towards maybe two, three people. Uh, what do you think maturity or growth looks like for the follower of Jesus? What are the sort of things when Paul says, I want to see you mature. I want to see you grow up into the fullness of what God has for you. I want to see you live into those things. What do you think are some of those things? I'm going to give us like two minutes, so dive right in and get going. In three, two, one. What do you think maturity and growth looks like for the follower of Jesus? I'm going to pull you back this direction. You can stay halfway seated if you want to, kind of that in between. Um, I want to give us space if a few people want to share on the mic uh, for us to learn from each other. So we learn uh, from the front, we learn from one another in the smaller group, also learning from the larger group dialogue. Uh, what are some of the things that you would expect? Or what do you think maturity and growth looks like for the follower of Jesus? If you want to give your thoughts, throw your hand up and we'll get you a microphone. The way that it was, the way that the spirit works in us, the way that we connect with Jesus, the way that we live our faith out, just adapt, changes over time as we also grow. Thanks, John. There is a 
massive amount of collective wisdom and experience that's present in each of our MCs that I would encourage us to continue to lean into as we learn from the word of scripture, the spirit of God, but also the people of God asking these questions. And there's different stages in this, I guess. Start here. There's different stages in this. Uh, somebody who's brand new to the faith, and I don't want to assume all of us have been walking with Jesus for a really long time. Uh, some of us might be brand new to the faith. That always starts in the same place. Like, I need Jesus, and it doesn't move on from there. Uh, I need Jesus. I need him to rescue me. And the first stages of your life with Jesus almost always look like us being so aware of our neediness for everything. That's even why Paul will say, like, he'll go back to, hey, don't lose that, but continue to work it out. Like, everybody starts there, but how you started the Christian faith, continue on in it. Just let it continue to work itself out with more and more depth that happens over time. Uh, And then often what happens is after you recognize I'm needy, I need Jesus, I I need these things, like God's there, he provides for me. Uh, There's usually a season of life for a follower of Jesus where they start saying, this is really hard. Like, my my friends don't like this. My old me doesn't like this. I actually prefer to do something else with my Friday night than what Jesus wants me to do. I prefer to do something else with my Sunday morning than what I feel like now I'm being invited into. I feel like I want to do something else with my money or my sexuality than than what Jesus is calling me to. And so it's really hard. But then after somebody's made this, uh, no, I'm sticking with, like, I'm not, Jesus is Lord, and I'll submit to him, and I will keep submitting to him, even when he starts bringing up this stuff that I don't like about it. And he will for all of us. Uh, Often people recognize that they're being called then to work with Jesus. They're being called to something in his kingdom alongside Jesus. There's this, what uh, many monks or other mystic people call, like, a second calling. We're called to Jesus, but then we're called to do something with Jesus. And at Missio, that might seem really normative because we make a big deal about that. Uh, if you're following Jesus, there's something that he wants you to do with him. And the beauty is that, that following Jesus doesn't just stop there, right? It continues on. Like there's different images given throughout scripture where there's this imagery of like you move from being a partner working with Jesus to somebody that he calls friend. In John, right, they follow those 12 disciples and their journey. There's this verse in chapter 14, 15, and 16 where he's giving this discourse right about, there's, I guess there's only 11 of them there because Judas peaced out. So with the 11 dudes that are still with him, he gives this invitation. He says, I, I used to, you're not my servants. I'm going to call you friends. He says, if you really love me, you'll obey my commands. And then even as John continued to develop in his own life, when you get to 1 John, the beginning of that, it's this beautiful imagery of him saying, God's inviting you into the very fellowship of the Trinity. Like this depth of just being immersed in who God is all the time. And I think, and I can be wrong, I don't think those all describe us at every moment always in our Christian life. Uh, I I think there is some sort of progression and maturity that takes place just beyond, like, do I sin or do I not sin? Like, that's not the end all and be all of what Jesus is inviting us into. Uh, There will always be part of that in our life. But there's so much more in intimacy and relationship and friendship with Jesus in partnership with him in his mission, of abiding in his love more and more continuously that over time, like Angelica said, will shape everything about us as much as our physical attributes do. And there's a beauty to that. 
If you've been following Jesus for 50 years, there's still more to experience. If you've been following Jesus the last five days, there is more than just the current struggle you're in, I promise you. There is a life to be had with God that is enjoyable and flourishing, a life that we've always been meant to live, and that's what we're being called back into as we're called to mature. God who created you is saying, this is the best possible way to live. Will you follow me in this? And Paul, taking that same spirit of God that's now in him, says, I want to give all my energy to seeing others develop and grow up. If you want to know what that looks like, Colossians 3 paints the picture. Uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to give commentary on it. We're just going to let Paul preach for himself for a second, and then I'll give us some reflection questions on it. But if you want to know what Paul thought it would look like when the church matured, when it grew up, what he was praying they would be like, he says, since then you've been raised with Christ, so he's talking to believers, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So what do I do with that? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God's coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then I'll go on to describe more of what that looks like, and you can keep reading it. But from that, that snapshot that you just had of Paul instructing people about what they should be like. He uses an image of a cloak. He says, take off the old, put on the new. It's like when you get a new set of clothes and you just can't wait to put it on. But once you put it on, it might not feel completely broken in right away. And so he says, this is an act that we're going to do. We're going to take off the old, put on the new as a cloak or a jacket or a shirt. These are the new clothes we now get to wear. They look like something different. But was there something that as we read through that, the Spirit drew your attention to? Uh, and if that question doesn't help you out at all, you could answer the second one. What did you notice about these instructions to a maturing community? Was there something that, that your attention went to or an image or even a command that you're like, oh, that, that's Paul preaching to Colossae, Jesus is preaching to me today. You're welcome to share that as well. But I'm going to give us like two minutes. So would you guys turn towards each other? Uh, and was there something from that chapter that you feel like the Spirit might have been highlighting for you? Hopefully you saw something in there. The, the invitations of Jesus are into a better way to live. Maturing up is not uh, a lesser thing. Like the enemy would very regularly want you to believe. 
to grow up in Christ and experience the fullness of him is the best possible way to live. And since you're all thoroughly convinced of that now because of the last 20 minutes of your life, um, since we're on the same page that we want to mature as a community, uh, we are not the first generation. And this is probably not the first time that you said, I would love to grow up in my experience of God and enjoying him and living life on his mission of experiencing the freedom that I already have and learning how to live free, of experiencing the full eternal life that starts now and goes on into eternity that Jesus invited me into. But, but if we know that, it's so important all throughout the story of learning to walk with God. What do you think prevents us as disciples from actually maturing? Uh, as our neighbors look in and give uh, maybe testimony to what they often hear or have experienced from Christians, it's not somebody more loving. Uh, it's not somebody more generous. It's not the first person to apologize in the neighborhood. It's not the most generous people. Dallas Willard, uh, if you're familiar with the name, wrote a massive amount of content on the idea of apprenticeship to Jesus and how practices help to keep us in the current of what Jesus is up to, and they shape us at our very being. And he lived most of his professional life inviting people to actual apprenticeship to Jesus. If you just Google Dallas Willard quotes, you'll have enough to read for a really long time, and it's absolutely fantastic. At the end of his life, he was left with the question, I've preached on this my whole life. I've had audiences full of it. I've had environments where people wanted to change. Why is it that we see such little maturity actually happen in people's lives? This is the question he's asking at the end. And then he dies. And the question lingers on, and there's a book that uh, came out afterwards where they attempted to answer, what were some of the missing pieces maybe to this whole ministry? I forget the name of it off the top of my head. But it was fascinating because he was left with that same question. Like, we all wanted this. What was missing? I think this is a question, the kind of question that's worth letting it sink down a little bit because uh, what prevents you might not prevent someone else. But I do want to give at least one answer uh, and then we'll move towards the table in just a second. I think a large percentage of discipleship that we experience uh, gets something confused. I think maturity is marked by loving obedience to Jesus. Those are actions. Those are things we do in response. Uh, they're taking the words of Jesus and acting like he really meant them. And for many of us, we're raised in an environment uh, that isn't obedience-based but is more information-based. If you know the right answers and you can repeat them, then you're mature. I love your answers to what is a mature person or a mature community or a mature disciple. It wasn't the person that knows the most. It wasn't the person who's read the most books or listened to the most podcasts or could recite the most, uh, has the most likes on their reel. That's not what makes somebody mature. What is maturity all throughout Scripture is do we hear the voice of God and do we obey it? Uh, do we know what God's called us into and are we obeying the parts we already know? And I think that's a question that Jesus has for us as missio. Are you obeying what I've already told you? We have got a massive amount of information. 
Uh, if you've just been in Missio this year alone, uh, you've read through all four Gospels. Uh, that's what we did uh, January, February, March. Uh, we've looked at the Lordship of Jesus. We've seen how to be a resilient disciple. We've looked at the gospel through the book of Jonah. We've taken steps and looked at these different practices. Uh, we've been able to journey uh, through the Psalms. We've had multiple meals together. We've stacked up experiences, had equippings. You've been able to spend a full day learning about how Missio does ministry and how we make disciples. A full day looking at human sexuality and the story of God. A full day looking at the story of God and how it unpacks. We've had massive amounts of experiences of information. The question that I always want us asking is, are we obeying what Jesus is calling us into, though? Are there pockets of our lives where maturity is stunted because we're telling Jesus no, but we're perfectly content to come and hear more information, just don't make me actually have to change my life? That is probably the biggest growth blocker that I've watched take place in churches. The illusion that if I know more, I must be more mature. Don't hear that and feel like, oh, I'm terrible. It's awful. Hear that and say the Spirit of God can do incredible things through people who submit to him in a very short period of time. Yes, there's a process. Yes, it's transformation that happens over time. But yes, it can happen in you. Spiritual growth and maturity is not just for one type of person who's somebody other than you. That's for anybody who submits to the Spirit, who follows Jesus, and joins up with God on his mission. That's the type of people Jesus wants to work in and will transform. That's you and that's me. Will we join him in that? That's why we set out as a church and say we want to grow. That's our posture. We want to join Jesus in what he's up to and follow the spirit as he matures us more in the image of Jesus. Would you guys pray with me?